0: Alright, now we are in uh, Matthew, the 10th chapter, and we're going through the book of Matthew, one verse at a time. We just read where Jesus took the 12 apostles, named them, and then gave them the same power he had to heal the sick and cast out devils and all this stuff. And he told them to go, and he gave them instructions. I said, just go to the Jewish people. Don't go to any Gentiles. Our message is just to the Jews. That was the calling when Jesus first came. Don't take any money with you. Uh, you know wherever you go they should support you Um, whatever home you enter into if they're kind to you bless them if not leave you know and basically teaching them look if they reject you they reject me you're my representatives which is what we are in the earth okay and we ended with this phrase he says I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves we need to be smart Christians Christians aren't always very smart. We need to be smart in the way that we advance the cause of Christ. Sometimes we're just flat out sneaky about it. Right? Because that's what he said to do. Be shrewd as snakes. All right, then we continue at verse 17. Now Jesus begins to prophesy. How do you know he's prophesying? Because everything he talks about now does not happen to these guys that he's about to send out. So clearly he's prophesying about something that's going to be coming later. Now, it'd be interesting I would love to talk with these guys. And what were they thinking when he was saying this stuff? Because I would think he would be talking about what's happening right now. You know, I'm going on this trip, da-da-da. And then he says this, I would think it has to do with this trip. Well, it has nothing to do with this trip. Uh, they don't know that at this point. Uh, one of the things about the spirit of prophecy, as prophets in the Old Testament would speak, and even in the New Testament, is they really do some time jumping, big time, major shifts. Uh, We see that in the Old Testament. The guy would be talking, a prophet would be talking about what's happening right here and right now or what's about to happen any minute and then suddenly he'd start talking about something that Jesus is going to do hundreds of years later when he first comes and then some more about stuff he's going to do when he comes back thousands of years later. I mean, it's all over and it's hard to tell. In fact, the only way to really tell it is to look at it in hindsight. I think a lot of the prophecies about the Messiah became very clear after Jesus came. Then they said, oh, well, this is what he meant when he said this. And this is what Isaiah meant when he said this. And this is what David meant when he said that. Because I don't know how you'd know it. Because if you're just reading it, it's hard to know when he's shifting time. See, we're very linear in our experience. We had yesterday. We have today. We'll have tonight. we got tomorrow. we got whatever we're going to do on Tuesday. We're very linear. Everything happens in a certain time. But God is beyond time and space and when the spirit of god would come on these guys and they start talking about what is to come they would take huge jumps in the timeline which again doesn't always even make sense so he starts he's sending them out be smart as snakes harmless as doves and then he says be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils to be flogged in the synagogues well that did not happen that's how we know he's prophesying okay they went and now I don't know if they didn't know what was going to happen they probably thought yikes here we go they're going to beat us up in these in these places and flogging I mean that was brutal it wasn't just a slap upside the head they would just whip these guys backs and just turn them into meat some of them it was a p- terrible horrible painful thing and Jesus said watch out they're going to do this to you yikes he says on my account You will be brought before governors and kings and as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Wait a minute. Didn't he just say, don't go to the Gentiles? Didn't he just tell them, don't have anything to do with the Gentiles? Yes, he did. If I'm sitting there with these guys, I'd be going, didn't he just (laughs) tell us? What do you mean to the Gentiles? He's prophesying. He's speaking of things that are yet to come. Years, decades, sometimes hundreds, even thousands of years down the pipe here. As he begins to speak into their lives. So he says, you're going to be uh, uh, speaking to them and even to the Gentiles, letting them know that eventually at some point they're going to speak to the Gentiles, which means us. Anybody that is not a Jew is called a Gentile. In the beginning, you have to understand, all these guys are Jewish. All of them. Everybody in the beginning, people always say, Jews rejected Christianity. Not really. not, Not up front, they didn't. Everybody in the beginning, everyone who was a Christian, all the early Christians were Jews. They didn't even think you could be a Christian if you weren't Jewish. That's what caused the problem, and why eventually Jews turned away from Christianity is because they let us in. <laughs> they didn't like us, all right? They thought, if you're going to be a Christian, great, but you have to be Jewish first. And then God let them know, no, that's not true. Uh, and then they had a real hard time with it. A lot of the stuff you'll read in the New Testament is this fight over whether or not you have to be Jewish, which thankfully, We don't have to be. We don't have to obey all those Old Testament laws. We are walking in a state of grace. It's a whole different ballgame for us. Uh, This was a big problem for them. They had a hard time getting past it. And quite frankly, most of these guys never did get past it. If you will read the book of Acts, what happens is Paul comes along, who winds up writing most of the New Testament, uh, because... He was the one who went to the Gentiles. Finally, God showed them and they all agreed, yes, we can go to the Gentiles. They don't have to become Jews. They can just believe in Christ. Yes, yes, yes. But these guys here, the apostles, all said, okay, so you go to the Gentiles and we'll minister to the Jews. They never did get over this. this. They struggled with this their entire lives. You have no idea of the cultural imprinting that was on their heads concerning non-Jews. It was a big deal. For some reason, Paul was able to get past it. Others were able to get past it, but Paul was able to get past it big time, and he becomes really the major writer of the New Testament. Most of all of our information comes from Paul, because these other guys just really couldn't handle non-Jews. It's fascinating when you get into the study of it. So anyway, Jesus continues to go. He says, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. Remember, he said you're going to get before kings and stuff like that. What am I going to say? He says, at that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Don't even worry about what you're saying. At the last minute, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Just relax. And then he goes on, and he's prophesying some more. Again, I don't know that they know this. He's sending them on this trip, and he's giving them all these details. And then he says, brother will betray brother to death well again this does not happen here in fact to these guys it never happens these brothers never betrayed each other prophesying about later on and through the centuries this has happened uh, uh, pretty big but you know there were two sets of brothers going on this trip after hearing this I'd be a little nervous I'd if I'm James I'm keeping an eye on John and he's gonna stab me in the back man you know Jesus, he said brothers are gonna betray brothers to death none of it happens again prophesying He says a father uh, will betray a child to death. Children will rebel against their parents. No shock there. But that's that's not the kind of rebellion that we experience today, normal rebellion. We're talking about rebellion where they literally would betray their parents and turn them over, rat them out so that they could be killed. Now, it's hard for us to really relate to a lot of this because, thankfully, we live in a country where none of this is really an issue. Pieces of it, little bits of it we'll talk about in a second relate to us. But by and large, it doesn't. But there are parts of the world that for centuries have experienced this. When you work, can you imagine being a Christian in Egypt today? Can you imagine being a Christian in Iran or in Saudi Arabia? I mean, your life isn't worth jack squat. You can't get a job. Your property is taken from you. And these people will literally kill you. Uh, the state would uh, um, indoctrinate the children this happened a lot in communist countries for years especially in the soviet union would indoctrinate the children something the state has always tried to do by the way that does happen in this country i guarantee you your children if they're going to a public school they're being indoctrinated against christian values and principles it's all to minor degrees some to degree, some enough that you can handle it and stuff like that but make no mistake the status systems in the world hate christianity and they'll do everything they can to undo it again it's not at the level that these guys have or some people around the world. But even in our country, we still have the problem. You need to be on your guard. And these people would literally indoctrinate the kids about the evils of Christianity. And then they would write out their parents. And then they take their parents and kill them. Jesus warned about this. Uh, you will be hated by everyone, he says, because of me. Now that's true, even for us. It doesn't take long to be a Christian before you realize a lot of people will hate you just because you're a Christian. They will think you're weird, you're creepy. Um, if people don't hate you because you're a Christian, it's probably because they don't know you're a Christian. <laughs> Which is true. Some of y'all are on the down low. Nobody really knows what I'm a, You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be careful about that. The reality is, if you stand up for your faith like we're supposed to, even in faraway places like Stevens Point, you need to stand up for your faith and let people know and and not as a jerk, you know, like I said last week. Be smart about it. Jesus said, wise as a serpent. But at some point... You get to let people know who you are, what you're about. And when people really start to understand what you believe in, a lot of people have nothing to do with you. They will hate you. It doesn't take very long for some of you to become Christians later in life and all the people who you thought were your friends suddenly hate you. They don't want anything to do with you. You're not any fun anymore. You don't want to go party anymore. You're weird. Your family thinks you're crazy. You belong to a cult. You know, they all think we're in here sacrificing goats and chickens and going, bla, 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 bla. They're scared to death because you're some kind of a cult over there. You know They think you're crazy. You will be hated because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, run. Why would he tell us to run? I'll come back to that in just a minute. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now he takes a huge leap in the timeline. He starts speaking about when he's going to come back again. When the Son of Man returns, Jesus is going to come back. They had no concept of this at this point. They don't know. I'm serious. I think they actually got used to a point of just not understanding most of what Jesus was saying. <laughs> the Bible said at times they were afraid to ask him what he meant. I ain't asking him. You asked him. He yelled at me last time. You know what I mean? <laughs> they were, you know, I think he would just talk and they were like, what? You know, they just moved up past it. But he, they didn't even know he was going to die on the cross at this point. They thought he was going to be the conquering Messiah now and, and, and liberate everyone. And when he died on the cross, it was a shock to them, even though he warned them at the, toward the end, I'm going to die on the cross. He just, again, I think they got used to just not listening to him because he kept talking about things that made no sense. You're going on the strip. He tells you all this. You go on the strip, nothing that happens. What did that mean? I don't know. So when he's saying, you know, I'm going to die on the cross and stuff, so they probably thought, what's he talking about now? Uh, I don't know. You know, so when it happened, it was like a total shock to them. So he goes to heaven. Now he's going to come back. And when he said, I was coming back, when Jesus first left and said, I'm coming back, they thought he was coming right back. You know, like going to the, the, you know, 7-Eleven to get a gallon of milk or something. No way in their wildest imagination do they think we'd be here 2,000 years later still doing this. Not a chance. They thought he was So, I mean, they had no concept of this. So all of a sudden he talks about, these people going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man, I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm sure people smarter than me think they know what he's talking about, but all of a sudden he's talking about, and here's the thing about prophecies. A lot of prophecies don't even make sense until after they happen. Then you go, oh, that's what that meant. You know, a lot of the prophecies about Jesus, we, oh, we're so brilliant. Yes, the Old Testament, why didn't they get it? You wouldn't have got it either. All right? After it happens, oh yeah, now we're brilliant, you know, because there's stuff that's happening yet to come that still isn't clear. And by the way, when you study the prophecies in the Old Testament or the New Testament about what's gonna happen in the end times, don't get crazy and get all smart and arguing about stuff. Good Lord, you don't know what's gonna happen. You think you do? Well, show and show on TV he says I don't care. Well, they don't know either. They're giving their best guess. Christians arguing over the stupidest things on earth. Are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you half a trib? Do you believe in the rapture? Do you not believe in the rapture? Do you be part of the rapture? I mean, seriously, you don't know. We're taking our best guess at this stuff. What are you gonna do? Not go to heaven because it didn't happen the way you thought it happened? I'm sorry, I ain't going. The rapture didn't happen when I thought it would be, and I'm just, I'm just not being a part of this. I mean, don't be ridiculous. You don't know, okay? You don't really know. It'll become really clear afterwards. For all we know, the book of Revelation was taking huge jumps in timeline. There's some who believe that parts of the book of Revelation have, in fact, already happened. We don't know. I don't know. Someday we'll all know. Well, that's what that meant. You know, it'll be brilliant in hindsight. But that's because the Spirit of God just jumps in. When he does this eternal time stuff, it's like, woo. hard to know what's going on. Don't get all crazy about it. The purpose of prophecy is to let us know it's going to hit the fan. Be ready. He warns us about all this stuff. Then they said, when's it going to happen? He says, I'm not going to tell ya." Why not? Just be ready. Almost every time in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it talks about prophecy, it ends with the words, therefore, be ready therefore be right that's what the point of it it's not just so an argue the details of what you think's coming you don't know what's going to come you have no idea well you got an idea you got bits and pieces but you know how it's all going to pan out speaking of, I, I i have the pan theory i think it'll all pan out in the end you know so don't get crazy about that stuff and 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 uh and i'll tell you another thing about this in a prophetic sense There's this, because of this time thing, it's hard to really grasp when these things will happen. And sometimes this even happens in your own personal life. Sometimes God will speak into your heart. You know, not necessarily a word or something. Maybe you hear a word. I don't know. But I mean, you know that you know you have a picture. You see something in your heart that is so real, so clear to you. Some of you have had that happen to you and you're so frustrated because it hasn't happened yet. Well, the Lord said to me that such and such would happen. He showed me such and such. When's it going to happen? I don't know. It may not happen for a real long time. And maybe it'll happen different than you thought it was going to happen. You know, a lot of it doesn't become clear until it happens. Then you look back and go, oh, that's what. He was getting you ready somehow. I remember as a young, I was a teenager when I first came to Christ. I had a picture so clearly in my heart. I knew what I was going to be doing. I saw, I could see the people's faces of me speaking and teaching about Jesus Christ into the lives of thousands of people. And then I turned 20 and nothing happened, and 25 and nothing happened, and I turned 30 and nothing happened, and 35 and nothing happened, and 40 nothing happened, AND 45 NOTHING HAPPENED! And often, what was that? And I just thought, I guess it'll never happen, you know, for me. I I was almost 50 years old before I started doing what I'm doing now. Now, it's all very clear. I'm speaking into millions of people's lives all over the world, traveling the globe. I'm having more fun than should be legally allowed. And I saw this. <laughs> what? That it shouldn't be legally allowed? <laughs> Arrest that man! Um, <laughs> hard to interpret. You're clapping sometimes, but anyway, uh, I saw this decades ago, and none of it happened. Not even a hint of it. I got so discouraged, I got out of the ministry. I mean, I didn't turn into a drug addict or anything. You know, we still went to church and still involved. But we, I was out of the ministry entirely for almost 20 years, wasn't it? I mean, when I first came here, they asked me, can you preach? I went, I don't know. I, I guess I can. I, mean, I didn't even know anymore. I mean, it takes a long time. Don't get discouraged when God speaks something there. And in a sense, even when you're standing in faith, For God to change something in your life. You're standing kind of in a prophetic sense. Your life stinks. And you're getting past that. And you're seeing where it's not going to stink. I'm going to trust God. We're going to get out of stinkville. We're going to get to a good place. We're trusting God. It is in a sense a prophetic place. When is that going to happen? I don't know. You just stand in faith. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes decades. Not to bum me out. But it's just the reality. The good news is God always comes through. Don't get discouraged. I Remember the story of Joseph. You Remember the story of Joseph? I love the story of Joseph in Genesis. This happened like over 4,000 years ago. Joseph has this dream. God shows him getting into this incredible place of power and authority and so much so that his brothers bowed down before him. He said, Man, look what God's going to do in my life. This is amazing. And he shared it with his brothers. And his brothers said, you little twit. We're going to kill you. And he, oh, They were going to kill him. And then at the last minute, one brother says, nah, let's not kill him, let's sell him. At least then we get some money. If you kill him, you got nothing. So they sell him off into slavery. So now he's a slave. They told dad, you know, some critters ate him. Sell him off as a slave. So here he gets this incredible vision. He gets this big picture. He's excited. Yes, 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 yes. This is awesome. And then his life goes to hell. He's sold into slavery. This is horrible. Slaves weren't exactly, you know, it's not like they had minimum wage laws back then. (laughs) You're a slave, you had a pretty miserable life. And after years of being a slave, he finally gets to be a house slave, which is a nice job. And he's a young man at this point now, and the Bible said he was quite the good-looking dude. Quite a comely young man, very shapely. Had that really slick look about him and The lady of the house saw him and thought, ooh, look at that. (laughs) You know, you thought the Latino pool boy was hot. Look at this guy. This is really hot. (laughs) And she starts to hit on him. And he freaks out, man. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a slave. He runs away from her. She gets so mad, she claims he tried to rape her. So then they arrest him and throw him into prison. Now his life really sucks. And we're not talking Brown County lock-up here, people. This is, this, is not, this is not 21st century jail where you got a nice cot, you know, on TV. And, you, you know, you get out for a few hours a day. Can you imagine what prisons were like in the dark ages? This is 4,000 years before that. <laughs> this is not a good place. It's awful. It, it, the smell, the disgust. The grooming, I mean, there was nothing. They could just, just. Blech. It's not like they got new cl- changes of clothes. They probably wore the same clothes until they fell off their bodies. Awful. And he was there for years. Where's the picture? Where's the, you, you told me I was, was going to, what happened? Some of us would be so mad, we'd be cussing bullets. But he never let go of that picture. He still trusted God. Someday this is going to happen for me. Someday, And how could it even begin to happen? But he wouldn't let go. And then this one day happens. This is in Genesis 41. Pharaoh has these dreams. It's freaking him out. Nobody can tell him what the dreams mean. And he hears about this guy in prison who apparently understands dreams. So read in verse 14 of Genesis 41. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. What did they do? They cleaned him up. The guy's in a dungeon thousands of years ago. Misery. Ode de caca everywhere. He looks probably like a rat who knows when the last time he even shaved or cut his hair. The last time he changed his clothes or was washed. Years, no doubt, had gone by. That's why so many of them die just from the diseases in these places. They take him and they quick clean him up. And they bring him to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hey, I hear you understand dreams. You can tell me what they mean. He says, well, I can't, but God can. So Pharaoh starts talking to him. And then Joseph, by the power of the Holy Spirit, tells him what it all means. The Pharaoh is blown away. And look what happens. Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. This is a sign of power and authority. This is a major statement. He takes it off his finger and he puts it on Joseph's finger. And he dresses him in robes of fine linen and puts gold chains around his neck. He looks like Snoop Doggy Dog. He is all decked out and funky looking. Gold and fancy clothes and he's got the best of everything. And the Bible says, then he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way, make way. And he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And it all happened in one day. He woke up that morning. His life was miserable. He was surrounded by filth and disgust and darkness and full of crud and discomfort. And by that evening, he was the second most powerful man in the world with more wealth and power and authority than anybody of his world had ever experienced. And sure enough, his brothers came and they saw this incredible man. They didn't recognize him and they bowed before him just like he had saw in the dream decades earlier. Sometimes things take a long time to change. The good news is when it starts to change, it can change in a heartbeat. You might have woke up this morning and your life was just miserable. To pass everything in my life stinks, it's horrible. Everything's going wrong, my kids are driving me crazy, my husband's demon possessed, I can't take it anymore. When's it gonna change, Pastor? When's it gonna? I don't know, but when it changes, it will change. The day's not over. You still might be the second most powerful person in the world by the end of the day. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. I don't believe that. That's why your life stinks. (laughs) The ones who believe it are the ones who experience miracles. It can all happen just like that. I know people get discouraged. Oh, pastor, I've been praying. It's been a week. It's been a week, Pastor. <laughs> Just relax. Sometimes it takes a while. That's the nature of prophecy. Jesus goes on. He says the student is not above his master, the teacher, nor a servant above his master. What's he talking about here? This is where he's saying, look, when Jesus was uh, in the earth, God blessed him, and then and of course he was God and all the stuff and all the wonderful. But when it came for him to be Tortured and punished uh, before his crucifixion. God withheld his hand. God did not intervene. All of heaven wanted to intervene. The Bible says he could have, at any minute, called for 10,000 angels and they had showed up kicking butt and taking names, but he never did it. And God withheld his hand. And what he's saying is look, the servant is not above his master sometimes people wonder why does god allow christians to suffer because when it comes to you being suffering as a christian god will not intervene why because he didn't do it for jesus and he's not going to do it for you the servant is not above his master it's enough he says to go on he says to uh for uh students to be like their teachers or servants like their masters at our max we have identified with a suffering christ and that's why sometimes bad things happen to really good people of faith. And they will suffer as a Christian. And when you start suffering as a Christian because of your faith, and people turn against you because of your faith, it's very likely God will not intervene because he didn't for Jesus. That's why he said, when persecution comes, run! Run! Why? Isn't God going to set me free and help us do this? Nope. <laughs> run! Run! This is the lot to which we've called. Jesus said, look, if the house, the head of the house was called Beelzebub, which means the devil, that's what they called Jesus, how much more the members of his own household? So he's letting us know, look, when we sign up for this, we are identifying with God. And God will be there to do all the miracles in the world for you. But when it comes to being suffering for a Christian and as a Christian and people hating you as a Christian, and again, we get little pieces of that people who really suffer hard in some horrible countries. Why doesn't God intervene? Because he didn't for Jesus. He's not going to do it for us. The good news is he says don't be afraid of them. Verse 26 There's nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Really? Because it makes me nervous. But he says don't be afraid of them. What's the worst they can do to you? Kill you! (laughs) Y'all you know, look at me like I dropped in from Mars this morning. I'll talk to you guys over there. Don't be afraid of them. The worst they can do is kill you. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You want to be afraid of somebody, you need to be afraid of God. And, and a lot of people are just, there's no fear of God today. They don't care what God says or teaches about anything. They think, ah, it's okay. I can do whatever I want to do. Hello? Then he goes on to let them know that God cares about you even though you suffer. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? What's he talking about? They used to sell sparrows for food, especially for poor people. Sparrow on a stick. Get your sparrow on a stick here. Anyway, (laughs) he got this great bargain. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth a lot more than a bunch of sparrows. And then he goes on to say, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. We'll stop there. We're not even done yet. If I'm getting ready on this trip, I'm ready to quit already. Good grief. These are the the words of encouragement. (laughs) I mean, this is pretty awful. But Jesus goes, the reason we're teaching this in the first place, and you've heard me say this over and over again, I'll keep saying it. I believe that in America, our intentions have been good, but in our effort to make the gospel appealing to people, we've created a false gospel. We have literally told people, all you need to become a Christian is believe in Jesus and say a prayer. It's a whole different picture than we actually see in the Bible. To truly follow Christ will cost you everything. If you can't look at your life and say, I am willing to give up everything and anybody in my life for Jesus, you're in a bad place. And there's people who literally won't give up bad relationships, immoral situations in their life, this, that, and the other, hang on to everything they got. It's mine, 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 mine. I'm not giving the church anything. And they think they're serving God. They're delusional. We've we've deluded ourselves. You have to understand, everything we have belongs to Him. I don't care who... It separates me from or who it associates me with, I am going to serve Jesus Christ. I don't care if it costs me everything. That has to be your mentality. The crazy paradox about Christianity is you cannot buy it. You cannot purchase your own salvation. It comes to you free because of what Christ did. You mean it'll cost me nothing? No, it will cost you everything. Isn't that wild? You can't buy it. But it'll cost you everything. And Jesus goes on to say, look, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you will lose your life, you will find it. You know what's the constant in there? Either way, you're going to lose your life. People fighting God and I won't let go. You're going to all let go anyway. Look, there's never been a hearse that had a U-Haul behind it. You can't. You cannot take it. You're going to lose it all. Ever. I can't give up my boyfriend. You're going to give up anyway. I can't give up. You're going to give it up. I can't give up my money. You're going to give it all up. The question is, are you going to willfully lay it down and let Christ bless your life or are you going to hang on to it and have it taken away from you eventually anyway? You are no fool to give up what you cannot keep. And only a fool fights to defend what he cannot hold. I know these are hard words, but he who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus was very strong in the gospel. It's free. You cannot buy it. Yet it will cost you everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith who truly surrender to you. To realize that we are just sheep for the slaughter. That our lives don't belong to us. They belong to you. Our relationships don't belong to us. They belong to you. Our personal joy and satisfaction doesn't belong to us. It belongs to you. Our money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to you. Help us to let go and to let God. Because if we will willfully lose our lives, we will truly find it. But if we try and hang on to our life, we're all going to lose it anyway. Help us to truly see the importance of eternity in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.